Happy Monday morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of the Monday Morning Mean Event. We have a huge, huge amount of news to talk about this week. We've got Derek Brunson and Kevin Holland fought this Saturday on top of all of the MMA news that was announced this week. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to get right into it, starting off with UFC Fight Night, Brunson versus Holland. With how much news there was in MMA this week, I'm going to get right to it, but I'm also going to recap as much as I can of the fights, but I'm going to keep it a little bit brief this week, so here we go. So, fights started off this week with Bruno Gustavo da Silva versus JP, ba JP Bays. Sorry. Uh, this weekend, we actually had a uh, husband and wife fighting together, making their UFC debuts together. It was uh, JP Bays on the prelims and Cheyenne Bays. On the main card, both coming off the contender series. So JP Bays, a flyweight, kicks off the night against Bruno Gustavo da Silva. Um, this fight, you know, unfortunately the night starts off immediately with a low blow kick uh, from Bruno da Silva. That was the first strike landed in the fight. Uh, not long after they restarted, Bruno landed an eye poke. So it didn't get the night started off in a good way um, on that note. But thankfully JP was able to recover, you know. Bruno was given a hard warning. They were able to keep going, but it was pretty clear right from the get-go. JP just looked a little outclassed in there, um, grappling-wise and striking-wise, and everything Bruno was landing was just looking a little bit harder. And in round two, uh, Bruno was able to put JP down, I believe about three times. He was able to land several bits of ground and pound on the way, and after the third stoppage re or third drop, referee Mark Smith decided to stop the fight. Good stoppage, very warranted, great import, uh, great performance by Da Silva, and I look forward to seeing him again and moving forward in the flyweight division. Next was a catchweight bout, Montel Jackson versus Jesse Strader. Only went a minute 58 seconds. Um, you know, Jesse Strader, I believe, was the biggest underdog on the card, and it was pretty obvious as to why Montel Jackson just put him on him right from the get-go, put him out. And, and that's all there really was to that one. You had Trevin Giles versus Roman Delize. Uh Pretty close competitive fight. You know, Trevin Giles definitely lost the first round in the grappling. Uh, Delize was just all over him when it came to the grappling throughout the entire fight. Uh, but Trevin Giles was able to land some really good strikes in the second round and, and drop him and then spent most of the round um, defending a heel hook. But was landing a lot of punches and a lot of strikes while that happened in the third round. Got himself in some bad positions on the ground with Delize again, but had very clearly, I thought, done enough to win the round. So it kind of all came down to how you scored that second round. And the three opinions that mattered on that night, which are the judges, all scored it 29-28 uh, for Trevin Giles. You know, I, I have no issue with that decision. Uh, I'm interested to see what they decide to do with him next. I don't see him getting a ranked opponent next. It was the first career loss and the first fight at 205 pounds for Roman Delize. So it'll be interesting to see where he decides to go next. His cardio definitely appeared to be an issue this one. He, he looked like he was breathing a little bit heavy. Maybe the weight cut, uh, he didn't do it right. We'll always see. Maybe he'll decide to go back up to 205. Maybe he'll decide to stay at 185. He, he looked about the same size as Trevin Giles in this one. So I, I could see him staying at 185 and maybe just getting a little bit more used to the weight cut. Then there was the big knockout by Grant Dawson and Leonardo Santos. So I did I was not able to see this full fight, um, unfortunately, due to my working schedule. But I was able to catch little clips 
and uh, you know Grant Dawson's up 29-28. He's up uh, 29-28, or, or sorry, it, not 29-28. He's up two rounds, nothing, um, heading into the third and final round on two of the judges, and um, you know it's one round apiece on the other judges' hands. So he's, I mean, he's gonna win this fight at this point. Um, there's seconds left in the fight. He's on top of. Leonardo Santos and just starts throwing hammer fists with like eight seconds left, like standing at his leg. Like he, Santos has his legs up on his hips, and Dawson standing and just starts raining down hammer fists. The referee called the fight with one second left in the third round, but that fight was over with about six seconds left. He landed about four or five hammer fist strikes, and uh, Santos was out on about the second one. And to see that kind of killer instinct in a guy who is that is ahead in a fight and is going to walk home with a scorecard, I mean, that's what you want to see. That, that's the kind of killer instinct that you want to see in fighting. This is a guy who knows, who's not coasting to a decision. This is a guy who every single second of the fight got the fight won. doesn't matter. You're fighting for the finish. That I, I really liked seeing that from Grant Dawson. And, you know, this was these are two... Relatively young guys working their way up in the division. Grant Dawson now 17-1 and in his career and is 5-0 and coming off of the Dana White Contender Series. Hasn't lost in eight fights is what it looks like. Yeah, hasn't lost in eight fights. Um, so I definitely see him getting a step up in competition next. I'm not sure who that'll be against. I'm not sure if he'll get a top 15 opponent or not, but I definitely believe... He'll be getting a step up in competition after this one. Very impressive all around. Um, Macy Chatson or Kiasen, again, another fight I wasn't able to see, was able to defeat Marion Renew, 29-28. Puts her uh, at two wins in a row. Her last loss and only career loss is to Lena Landsberg uh, at Hermanson vs. Cannoneer from September 2019. So, you know, on a two-fight winning streak since then, so we'll see where she goes from here. Uh, now into the main card. I'll do a little bit more in-depth on this main card. So, the main event, main card starts off with a heavyweight bout with Tai Tuivasa and Harry Hunsucker. So, I believe this may have been Hunsucker's UFC debut. Tai Tuivasa, 11, or 10-3 in his career heading into this fight. Um, coming off a knockout win over Stefan Struve in October with one second left in the first round. You know, before that, he had lost three straight fights. To uh, Junior DeSantos by TKO, a decision to Blagoy Ivanov, and then uh, Sergey Spivak got him to go to sleep to an arm triangle choke before that. But you know, you look at some of his wins. You know, he he defeated Ultimate Fighter vet James Sweet McSweeney before coming to the UFC. Uh, knocked out Rashad Coulter with a flying knee. Knocked out Surreal Asker, or, and uh, decision went over Andre Arlovsky. So you know, not not had two spectacular of a career so far, but, you know, definitely, definitely a fun heavyweight to watch, um, been doing a lot of, he had spent a lot of time at AKA, probably trying to improve his grappling, so, um, we didn't get much time to see whether or not he's worked on his grappling, or how well that's gotten, uh, this one was over in 49 seconds, Taituivasa came out immediately throwing hard leg kicks that were buckling the legs of Hunsucker, he was tagging him early, and then, just landed a right hand that put him down. Looked like Hunsucker was going to recover for a second, but Tuivasa just put him on him with the ground and pound. 
Referee called the fight. No need to let it keep going. Ty Tuivasa, you know, this is a guy that you just, you can't let him hit you clean. If he does, he's very likely going to put your lights out. After that was one of my favorite performances of the night. Uh, so we had Gustavo Lopez versus Adrian Yanez. So, bantamweight fight. Um, you know, Adrian Yanez, 12 and 5 coming into this. Was coming off a win over Anthony Burchock on the Santos and Teixeira card. Uh, but he had lost his UFC debut to Marab Duval Shavili for that. Adrian Yanez, let me see if I can look in his record coming into this fight. But Yanez just looked absolutely incredible in this fight. Um, really wasn't super close. He was kind of picking Lopez apart for the majority of the matchup. Um, and you could tell the shots that he was landing were hurting. This was only his second ever UFC fight. Uh, and won his first ever UFC fight by head kick. But he's picking him apart and landing the harder shots the entire fight. And ends up dropping him um, in the third round. About 20 seconds in. Puts in him on him. Finishes him. 27 seconds of the third round. Impressive finish for Yanez. And he got a much, much deserved... Um, Performance of the night bonus for that, alongside Grant Dawson, Bruno Gustavo da Silva, and uh, one other fighter who I will get to, which was the co-main event. So Adrian Yanez in his post-fight interview uh, tells Dana White, you know, he's from Houston, Texas, and he wants on UFC 262 here in Houston, and UFC 262 I will be getting to here in a little bit. He asked Dana White to put him on UFC 262, says he's from Texas. He's living his dream right now, and he wants to fulfill the dream and the promise that he made his father. He wants to fight for the UFC in Houston. I say put him on the card. I, I don't have an opponent in mind for him, but I'd say definitely find a spot for that kid on that card. Absolutely impressive performance. Next was Montserrat, Montserrat Ruiz versus Cheyenne Bays. So Cheyenne Bays, as I mentioned earlier, her husband JP Bays fought on the prelims. Not a good night for either one of these two. Uh, she ended up losing by a unanimous decision. Montserrat Ruiz was just absolutely smothering with her grappling, um, and this wasn't this wasn't very traditional, you know, grappling that you're going to see in MMA, where she's doing double leg takedowns and going to guards. It was a lot of wild scrambles, and it was a lot of getting her to side control and, and holding her and controlling her with a headlock. Um, now, you don't see this a lot with jiu-jitsu and things like that because, you know, going for a, a headlock from side control, you're, you're giving up your back. So, the, the person's arms are free. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be necessarily easy, but you are giving up your back if that person does well. And in the third round, Cheyenne Bays did actually do that. Uh, but there's a lot of scrambles in this fight that was, that was being taken advantage of by Montserrat Ruiz and... First two rounds, she just did an absolutely phenomenal job of smothering her. Third round, Cheyenne Bays came out, and uh, she looked absolutely impressive in the third round to me. Um, she was landing some crisp striking, striking, throwing really good combinations, was keeping Montserrat at bay. Uh, Montserrat finally got a hold of her and dragged her to the ground with that headlock, and they actually ended up in this crazy scramble where, well, like I said, Cheyenne Bays decided to take her back, um, and starts working for it, and Montserrat just starts rolling, starts going crazy, ends up getting her back, but they ended up working their way to the feet. Um, fight ended with Montserrat on top, and uh, they ended up 
get into a bit of a skirmish after the fight. Um, I didn't see what happened, but they were yelling at each other. Montserrat was flipping her off. Um, you know, and, and after the fight, uh, Cheyenne Bays uh, said that it on her at some point. Now, I didn't personally see it, and Montserrat denies it happening. I'm not going to necessarily say it did or didn't happen. I just didn't see it. Um, you know, if that if that is what happened, then that would explain, you know, that, that bit of animosity there at the end. Not exactly sure what caused it, but, you know, it happened. Impressive performance by Montserrat Ruiz. She's going to be working her way up the women's bantamweight division. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, or sorry, women's strawweight division. Uh, so 115 pounds. I'm not sure where she fits in next in that division either as far as rankings go. You know, she's 10-1 in her career so far. Uh, she's for UFC debut, so coming out of Invicta. So I'm not sure where you, who you match her, match her up with yet. I'll probably not give her anybody in the rankings quite yet. Have her work her way up from that. Um, but very smothering grappling performance from Montserrat Ruiz. So now the co-main event was Max Griffin versus Song Kanong. Uh, Max Griffin and Song Kanan, I don't believe either one of them knew what a feeling out process was for this one. These two came out swinging hard punches. These two were throwing at each other. There was no, oh, let's, let's take our time, let's feel this out, see what the other one's doing. No, this was, I'm going to be throwing my fists and my kicks as hard and as fast as I can at you. And we're going to see which one of us goes down first. And the answer was Son Kanan. Uh, Max Griffin landed a hard right hand that had him backing up. And ends up throwing like, uh, just kind of a jab. Uh, and, and puts Kanan down. Lands a 1-2. Puts him down. And lands you know maybe one or two ground and pound strikes. But the fight was over. Uh, Max Griffin just looked absolutely great in this fight. Second straight win. Gets on the post-fight interview. And uh, makes the most of being the co-main event. Uh really liked his personality. He, he's a really fun guy. He very energetic. You know, he, he was he was coming off very fun when they were when they were showing him the knocking out itself. I really enjoyed him. And then he also asked to be on the UFC 262 card in Houston and asked for Jeff Neal. I think that's a little bit of a step up. Uh, looking at his you know, looking at his track record in the UFC, he's he's kind of lost to some guys slightly outside of the rankings or just in the rankings when he has fought them. You know, he does have a win over Mike Perry, uh, but he's got losses to guys like Alves, um, uh, that being Tiago Alves, um, and he uh, lost to Cowboy Oliveira by split decision. So he, he's got some losses, but you know what? Jeff Neal, also being a Texas guy, coming off to loss to Stephen Thompson. If he's available and they can book it, I say give it to him. Let's get him on that card. He's he's absolutely fun personality. He made the most of his opportunity getting pushed up to co-main event at the last minute. So I say give it to him. Let's let's make him let's get him on UFC Houston somehow, some way. Now as for why <clears throat> that fight was the co-main event, Brad Riddell versus Gregor Gillespie was called off. Uh, the day of the event, the coming event was called off the day of the event. Uh, due to COVID-19 protocols, it was announced that it will be uh, rescheduled down the line. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. I look forward to seeing that fight. I was a little disappointed that we didn't get it, but I'm glad we'll still be getting it at some point. 
Now, as far as those COVID-19 protocols, we'll get to how that's going to affect another fight here in a little bit. But first, we're going to talk about the main event, Derek Brunson versus Kevin Holland. So, this fight played out close to how I expected. Um, Derek Brunson, just absolutely dominant with his grappling through the first four rounds. There was nothing that Kevin Holland could do to stop the takedowns of Derek Brunson. In round five, I believe he became the first person in UFC history, though, to take down Derek Brunson. Derek Brunson was able to work his way up. Um, he ended up winning four rounds to one decision on Kevin Holland. Uh, so, uh, talking a little bit more in depth about the fight. Um, some things I didn't like uh, about this fight. Um, Kevin Holland was, after the first round, you know, very clearly lost. I believe he's, he was controlled on the ground for over four minutes in the first round. Um, and while his corner's trying to talk to him, he, he's, he's talking to Khabib at cage side. Um, asking him, you know, he's like, oh, you're the best wrestler. I need your help. You know, you got to tell me when the shot's coming. And his corner's trying to talk to him, and he's just not listening. And he's just cracking jokes and trying to have fun talking to Khabib. And Khabib's telling him, you know, you need to focus, focus. Derek, Derek's in there. You need to focus. But instead of listening to his corner or getting tactical advice, he was too busy talking to Khabib. I, I didn't really care for that. Um, he did end up landing a really good shot on Derek Brunson in the second round. Actually dropped Derek and uh, just wasn't able to follow up with it. He was getting a little too wild, too overexcited. I think if he would have calmed it down a bit and kept his distance, he probably could have put Derek Brunson away in the second round. Another thing I didn't like about this fight is uh, that same pattern, you know, between rounds. He was he was talking over his corners, wasn't really listening to what they were saying. But also when uh, Kevin Holland was on his back, <clears throat> you know, yeah, the talking and everything is fine. I get it. It's gamesmanship. But he was uh, walking body triangles from guard. And, uh, you know, he'd occasionally kind of rotate his hips like he was going for an armbar. Then he would just go right back to his closed guard and put on that body triangle and you know there's no urgency from the bottom from Kevin Holland it, there was no real effort or attempts made into getting up and it just it really baffled me to watch this guy just seemingly mentally accepting that he was outmatched and I'm just I'm gonna lose this fight and that's okay and that was kind of what I saw now I'm not uh taking anything away from Derek Brunson Derek Brunson's wrestling pressure is absolutely the reason <clears throat> that Kevin Holland got to that point, but it just baffles to me to see a guy getting this much hype going into a main event and seemingly just giving up mentally after the first round and accepting that he's going to lose. Uh, he even at the weigh-ins was talking about how the fight was going to go, and he pretty much laid it out step by step, and it went exactly how he said it was going to go with the takedowns and being held down, but he did nothing to try and work his way back up. There was no, you know, getting his feet on the hips and pushing off to his explode. There was there was none of that. It was just, well, I'm on the bottom, so I'm just going to accept that. Uh, not not an overly impressive win for Derek Brunson, but, you know, a, a pretty good, impressive winning streak. Uh, he definitely works his way up. After the fight, he called for a fight with Paulo Costa. And uh, Paulo Costa actually just recently had to pull out of the Robert Whitaker fight due to the flu. He had COVID-19 and then the flu right afterwards. Um, you know, I, I think... Why not? That that works. I think that's one of the only people rank above him that's that's not currently lined up for a fight. So I think that makes the most sense. Paulo Costa coming off that big loss to Israel Adesanya. He loses his fight with Robert Whitaker. 
I, I say book that fight next. Give Derek Brunson vert to uh, Paulo Costa. I don't know that that is necessarily a fight that Derek Brunson will win, but I think he's definitely earned that step up. Now, the middleweight division did have some interesting news this week coming off of it. Um, and, you know, Kevin Holland's talking about potentially moving down to welterweight after this fight. I, I don't know that I'd necessarily see that as a bad thing if he can handle the weight cut. Um, if not, I'd, I'd give him uh, probably the loser of the Chris Weidman-Uriah Hall fight. Um, you know, especially if, if Chris Weidman does lose that fight. That'd be a good good test for Kevin Holland. You know, Weidman is, would definitely, after seeing this fight, put that wrestling pressure on him, take him down, smother him. So I, I say put him with someone like that, unless he really does decide to go down to the welterweight division. Um, then from there, I'm not sure where he fits in. You know, he was ranked number 10 in the world at middleweight. I don't know where you really throw him at welterweight right now. That division's... Uh, got a lot going on, which I will also be getting to here in a bit. But Paulo Costa's out. Kelvin Gastelum is in on five-week notice, notice to face Robert Whitaker. So this fight was supposed to happen in 2019 for the middleweight championship. Unfortunately, the night after the weigh-ins, um, like not like pretty much, I believe, uh, overnight before the fight, uh, Robert Whitaker had to go in for emergency surgery for his hernia, which uh, led us down to Kelvin Gastelum versus Israel Adesanya a few months later for the interim title, and Israel Adesanya won that fight after an amazing war, so two years later, we are finally going to get Kelvin Gastelum and Robert Whitaker. I am so excited about this fight. I think stylistically, this is a very fun matchup. I looked forward to it when it was first booked. Gastelum, after the Adesanya fight, you know, kind of hit a drag where he lost a decision to Darren Till and then got caught in a leg lock early against Jack Hermanson. Rebounded really well in his last fight up against Ian Heinish. So I look forward to seeing this fight. I think it'll be a good one. I do believe that Robert Whitaker likely takes this one. Um, I just think that while it's a fun fight stylistically, I, I think Robert Whitaker likely gets it done. I, I think that Robert Whitaker honestly beats anybody in this division not named Israel Adesanya. And that's not to say he can't beat Adesanya, but I just think outside of Israel Adesanya, you know, there's I don't think there's anybody in the 185 division that he doesn't beat. Um, now, that's not to say that Kelvin can't do it. Kelvin is a phenomenal fighter himself, so we'll definitely see what happens with that one. I'm looking forward to it. Then another middleweight fight was announced, and that is... Uh, for UFC 262, and that is Edmund Shabazian versus Jack Hermanson. I absolutely love this fight. Um, Jack Hermanson was supposed to fight Darren Till. Marvin Vittori stepped on short notice and absolutely put it on him. Just an absolute dominant performance. It was a pretty good fight, but it was very clear at the end of it who won. Uh, Edmund Shabazian, young guy, was breaking his way into the top 10, then he ran into Derek Brunson. So it's, it's a good test for whether or not Jack Hermanson's truly in the top top 10 of the division. And it's a, a chance for Edmund Shabazian to you know rebound, but also rebound against a top fighter. I really like this fight. I think stylistically it's interesting because what we saw last time was uh, Hermanson had a lot of issues with, with the striking of Vittori, and that is definitely Edmund's specialty. But Edmund 
you know, got tired and actually ended up having issues with the grappling. And the grappling is definitely Jack Hermanson's forte. So it'll be interesting to see who can impose their will in this fight. And I think this is a very meaningful fight as far as what happens next in the middleweight division. Now with Paulo Costa being out, you know, I was going to talk about what's next for him, but I think Derek Brunson kind of settled that on Saturday. Um, I think Derek Brunson is absolutely the fight to make for Paulo Costa, and I was thinking going into this Saturday that that'd be the fight to make for Paulo Costa. Now the other argument you could make is you've got Darren Till versus Marvin Vittori and Robert Whitaker versus Kelvin Gastelum. One of those fights, the winner is going to get uh, Israel Asanya next. It's going to be whoever has the most impressive win of those four guys is going to get the title shot. If Darren Till wins, I believe he automatically is going to get a title shot. Not because he deserves it more than, say, Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker beat him last year. But more for parity's sake, I could see Darren Till getting Israel Asanya next. But, you know, maybe, maybe Paulo Costa says no to Derek Brunson, and maybe he takes whichever winner of this next uh, set of fights that doesn't get the title shot without Asanya. So maybe, maybe Darren Till wins, but Robert Whitaker wins more spectacularly, and they book the rematch. Maybe you do Till versus Costa. I don't know. But I, I would say logically, uh, Derek Brunson, you know, they, they just wanted to, Paulo Costa's camp just wanted to postpone that fight. They didn't want to cancel it. So I say realistically, <clears throat> go ahead and uh, just get him a fight as soon as possible and put him in there with Derek Brunson. So hopefully we'll see that going forward. The middleweight division's definitely getting very exciting, and a lot of steps forward were made in this past week. So now, the big announcement in the MMA world this week, the biggest announcement, in my opinion, was the announcement of UFC 261. UFC 261 will be taking place in Jacksonville, Florida, and it will be taking place with a full crowd on April 24th. So, obviously, a lot of controversy with that full crowd announcement. I'm not going to get too far into that. I'm going to uh, kind of save my judgment for after the event. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens as far as a nasty COVID outbreak with the crowd or, or with the staff until after the event's over. Um, until then, I'm going to reserve my judgment and say, you know what? I get it. The UFC's got to have, you, they've got to have a live gate again. I get it from a business standpoint. We'll find out whether or not it's necessarily the best move. I, I don't disagree with the notion. You know, we've got the vaccine out now, and we don't necessarily need to keep living in fear. Um, I think it maybe would have still been a smart idea PR-wise to maybe start with 50% attendance. But you know what? Like I said, I'll reserve my judgments on that till after the fights are over, and we see what happens with the crowd and with the COVID cases in that area. Now, the big announcements, though, were the fights. So we already talked about last week with the white heavyweight division having Anthony Smith and Jimmy Crude on this card. You know, Chris Weidman and Uriah Hall's on this card. Some good fights already. But we are getting three title fights in one night. Weili Zhang and Rose Namajunas was announced for this card. Really can't wait for that one. I, I think that is absolutely, especially coming off of her uh, win in the rematch over Jessica Andrade. Perfect fight. Uh, Rose is definitely worthy of the title shot, and I'm very interested in this one, uh, especially after Wei Li versus Joanna last year. The, coming off the fight of the year last year, 
it's hard to not get excited about a Whaley Zhang fight. I don't know who I see winning this one. It's Whaley had a very close fight with Joanna Jacek. But honestly, it's really hard for me to count out Rose Namajunas in any fight. I think the first fight with Jessica Andrade, you know, she kind of cost herself uh, by holding onto that Kimura, but was picking her apart standing in the first fight. Ended up beating her in the rematch. And, you know, she's got two wins over Joanna Jacek. She's an absolutely phenomenal competitor. She does have some losses in her career. You know, she's got the first loss to Andrade. She's got, um, you know, the loss to uh, Kovacavich. She's got the loss to Carla Esparza in her UFC debut to become the first ever champion. She had a loss in Invicta. But, you know, other than that, she's got some really big wins. And she does have two wins over Joanna Jacek. And one of them was a first-round knockout. She TKO'd her in the first round. You know, this is... And, and the other one was a five-round war. So, you know, Rose Namajunas is absolutely a top fighter in this division and is the fight I was honestly looking forward to the most for Whaley once she became champion. I really look forward to seeing how this one goes down. And then you've got the coming event, Valentina Shevchenko, Jessica Andrade. Another really fun fight. I think that Shevchenko definitely takes this one. It's It's hard. It's... Shevchenko is the Nunes of the 125-pound division. You, there's no one you realistically see beating her, but Andrade is the most exciting and compelling fight for her. Um, now, the, now, with the interesting thing with Shevchenko, is a lot of people are talking about a super fight with her and Weili Zhang, and uh, she said she's going to wait till after the fight because she doesn't believe that Weili beats Rose Namajunas. So <clears throat> she thinks that Rose is going to actually defeat Weili Zhang. I believe that is a very strong possibility. I think these are two phenomenal fights. I think Jessica Andrade is going to be the toughest test that uh, Shevchenko has had since she fought Joanna Jacek at that division. Um, I still think that Shevchenko get the, gets this one done. It's just really hard to go against Shevchenko winning a fight. But I think if you do get a Weili, if Weili does defeat Rose Namajunas, um, you know, I, I would not be surprised if, if Shevchenko wins. If we see Shevchenko versus Wei Li Zhang next and we get a super fight, you know, it's I, I, I personally like seeing champions stay and clearing out their divisions first, but we are in a super fight era and champ versus champ, and especially for someone like Shevchenko, it's kind of what she needs at this point. She needs a big challenge because she is miles ahead of the girls in her weight class. So if she gets if she gets one off on uh, Jessica Andrade in this fight, it'd be tough to argue against doing her and Whaley if Whaley does defeat Rose Namajunas. Um, but then the main event, which I have quite a bit to say about, Jorge Masvidal versus Kamara Usman two. So if you listened to last Monday's podcast, I said that I didn't see Masvidal taking any other fight but the title fight, but to me that fight made no sense. And uh, hours after my podcast was dropped, this big announcement for UFC 261 was made, including that this main event was happened. So I want to start by saying, Dana White, thank you very much for not announcing this last Sunday. Uh, <laughs> you would have made last Monday's podcast talking about the welterweight division a little bit easier. Now you've got me talking about it all over again. So I know you don't know me, but thanks for doing me a solid one. Um, Kamara Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. I don't see this fight going any differently with a full camp. 
Um, you know, but here's, I'm going to look at it from a subjective lens as opposed to saying, you know, he, he won that last fight five rounds nothing. One of the judges scored it four rounds to one. There's no need for this fight. That is my perspective on it, but here's the other way of looking at it. Gilbert Burns tested positive for COVID last year and was feeling sick and was pulled from that card on Fight Island. That was the headliner of their big Fight Island pay-per-view. Another three-title fight event, just like this one that's coming up. And uh, they were really counting on that Kamaru Usman-Gilbert Burns fight. That was a big, big main event to just lose at the last second. And it was uh, six days' notice that Jorge Masvidal stepped up. Now, obviously, that's been the reason used right from the get-go is, oh, well, you know, I didn't have a full training camp. I stepped up and cut that weight on six days' notice. That's why I lost. I believe that Masvidal lost stylistically. Um, I don't believe he's done anything to warrant getting a rematch. However, outside of Conor McGregor, Jorge Masvidal is the biggest star in the sport. Money talks. And the UFC is returning the favor. This guy stepped up on six days' notice for them. And he said right from the get-go, just give me a full camp. Give me a full camp. I learned what I needed to learn. Give me a full camp. Do I think that's true and that that'll actually make a difference? No, but you know what? Maybe he'll prove us wrong. I, I still think Kamara Usman likely, likely wins this one in a pretty similar fashion. I don't see it going any differently. But for the company standpoint, they're returning the favor to Jorge Mahay Masvidal. And for Kamara Usman... Ever since you beat this guy, five rounds nothing, he has been talking about how you only beat him because he stepped up on six days' notice. And after he beat Gilbert Burns, he said, there's a guy that's been talking and has said that <clears throat> I only beat him because it was six days' notice, but he had the chance several times to take me on a full camp, and he wouldn't take it. He only took that fight because it was the built-in excuse. Both these guys want this fight. Uh, you know, Colby Covington, I believe... Should probably win another fight. Now, I know Colby Covington has won a fight since, but I definitely agree with the idea that Colby should win another fight, especially after hearing he turned down Leon Edwards. He didn't do himself any favors trying to get a title shot. You know, Leon Edwards, I think, could have gotten a title shot had he won impressively against Bahal Muhammad, but unfortunately that no contest happened. So, you know what? I get it from a business standpoint. I think Kamara Usman will win this fight and the division will get moving forward. Now, this does change the path forward for the welterweight division a little bit. Um, and how it changes it going forward is, is what do you do next for these guys? So, Leon Edwards is not going to get a title fight. And we knew that before this title fight was announced. You're, you're just not going to get a title fight coming off of a 600-day layoff and then getting a no contest due to an eye poke. Even if you won the first round, that's not how that works. I don't know that the Bahal Muhammad rematch will happen, but you know what? The way Bahal's talking, I could see Bahal talking him into it. You know, he's saying if you're you're a coward, if you're happy with that, and if you're happy with that result, and you're saying you're happy with how it went down, and you want a title shot, you should retire from the sport. You should not be happy with how that went. You shouldn't hang your hat off of winning one round against me. We had we were scheduled for five. I love what Bahal Muhammad's doing. You know, he might, he might get himself a, a rematch, but I think the path forward for that division, you know, Colby Covington, uh, Kamara Usman saying apparently that he believes that Colby should win another fight before they rematch that's coming from uh, Kamara's manager, Ali Abdelaziz, so, you know, maybe take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but, you know, he's saying he should win another fight. 
I think the UFC will probably say that too, knowing that they called him and he refused to step up. And Colby, you know, gave his in-character reason for why he didn't step up. But, you know, it's honestly a compliment to Leon Edwards, whether he met it or not. Because what he, what is really being said is, they called me and offered me Leon Edwards on short notice, and I said no. That's all you need to know that was said. They offered him Leon Edwards on short notice, and he said no. That is a big compliment to Leon Edwards, whether he meant it that way or not. He knows... He'll give you an in-character response, but he knows that that's a tough fight to take on short notice, and he's not going to take it. So Colby Covington, Leon Edwards, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, and Gilbert Burns are all in the waiting. Um, Gilbert Burns is trying to get a fight in June, and he said something was mentioned to him about Chiesa. I I love the idea of Michael Chiesa versus Gilbert Burns. I think stylistically with the grappling, that's a very, very interesting matchup. Uh, Michael Chiesa, you know, we saw his last fight, absolutely smothering wrestling presence. And, and that's really what he's brought to the welterweight division. He's done a really good job at implementing his wrestling. And he's he's coming into his own as a fighter now that he's not cutting the weight down to 155. But it's a dangerous game to play with Gilbert Burns. And Gilbert Burns is a very, very powerful striker. So that'd be a very good test for Michael Chiesa to try and earn his way into the top 10. Or sorry, top 5. And it'd be a great way for Gilbert Burns to kind of keep his place and earn his way back up to a title shot because I don't think he's going to get there with one win. I say the where the division gets a little bit log jammed though is you have a pretty similar situation to what you had at lightweight up until a few days ago, uh, where you've got you know the three guys and those three guys are. Colby Covington, Leon Edwards, and Stephen Thompson. You're going to have an odd man out. I believe two of those guys are going to fight, and one of them's not. One of them's probably going to fight the loser of Kamara Usman and Jorge Masvidal. I, I believe that that would very likely be Colby Covington. I say do Leon Edwards versus Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Winner gets the next title shot, gets the winner of Masvidal and Usman. And, you know, let Colby go in there and fight the loser of the title fight. And if he wins that one, he'll be next up. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do Leon versus Colby either. But I think, realistically, you know, they're talking Michael Chiesa versus Gilbert Burns. I like the idea of that fight. Um, if you're going just from top four matchups, then give me Leon versus Thompson and give me Gilbert, or sorry, give me... Uh, Leon versus Colby, and give me Gilbert versus Stephen Thompson. But I think we're very likely, I see Kiesa versus Gilbert Burns getting booked, uh, do Stephen Thompson versus Leon Edwards, and do Colby versus the loser of Kamaru Usman and Jorge Masvidal. There's bad blood there either way, and that fight's going to sell. Now, this does leave it a little bit open as to what's going to happen with the Ultimate Fighter, because we were being told by Dana White that um, the Ultimate Fighter was going to be two welterweights, well, we were pretty sure that that was going to be either uh, Covington-Mosvidal or Mosvidal-Usman. Uh, not going to be either now. I believe it was probably going to be Usman and Mosvidal, but they decided to move it up for this UFC 261 event. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. Um, some big fights announced in the bantamweight division, headlining fight night cards in May. You've got TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Sanhagen. I think we all knew this fight was coming, but I absolutely, absolutely love this one. TJ Dillashaw coming off of a two-year suspension from 
PD. So that's going to be one of the storylines of this fight is, is TJ Dillashaw still clean? Um, is he clean at all? Did he uh, learn from his suspension? You know, he, he pretty much made it clear. He, he made it sound like the only thing he truly regretted was getting caught. Um, you know, Garbrandt had hit it about a little over a year and a half before that, a little bit before their first fight. He said something along the lines of, shut up and take your EPO on Twitter. So it seems like this is something that people that have trained with him in the past already knew about. So it makes you kind of wonder... Uh, had he always been on it? Is he? Has he ever been clean? You know, what's happening with that? Um, Sanhagen, you know, other than his loss to Aljamain Sterling, has been perfect in the UFC, and is coming off of a 30-second flying knee knockout over Frankie Edgar, and before that, a spinning wheel kick, uh, that which led to a TKO on Marlon Marais. This dude is just on a tear in that division against everybody but Aljamain Sterling. This is the perfect number one contender's fight to make. There, there's no other way to go about it. We're, we're getting Aljamain Sterling as probably on yet. And by the way, while we're talking about the Bantamweight division, I absolutely love what Aljamain Sterling, what Aljamain Sterling is doing. Has anybody seen his Instagram? He knows fans hate him for what happened, even though it's not his fault. Let's make that clear. What happened is not his fault. But the fans absolutely hate him for it. And he is absolutely eating at them. He is posing for pictures with the belt now and smiling. He's doing, you know, pictures where he's doing the salt bay pose over the belt. You know, you know, he's salty. He's captioning it in Russian. I absolutely love it. And he's even making comments about not giving Jan a rematch. Now, let's be very clear. He's going to give Piotr Jan a rematch. But I love what he's doing. He's getting the fans pissed off. He's saying, you know what? I did nothing wrong. It's not my fault that this happened. I'm, I'm the one that got hit with the illegal strike. And you guys are mad at me for it. So I'm going to take advantage of it, and I'm going to make you hate me. You want to hate me, so I'm going to make you hate me. I absolutely love this out of him. Um, you know, it's it's a great, great way to go about it. I, I love the way he's doing it. Um, I can't wait for that rematch to happen so we can get some clarity going forward in that division. And we'll definitely be seeing Dillashaw, Sanhagen winner uh, versus the winner of that. I'm very interested to see who wins. Dillashaw, Sanhagen, are, are we even going to see the same D TJ Dillashaw of old? You know, we don't know what we're going to see from him when when he comes back. You know, a two-year layoff is a is a long time to be out. You never know what's going to happen. I, I believe he's in his mid-30s. That's a long time to be out. He's been training this whole time. I'm sure he's still a top guy. But, you know, the division's been moving forward. Corey Sanhagen's a young guy. In, in his last fight, he did get knocked out by Henry Cejudo. So it's it's going to be curious to see if he can handle the power and the speed of Corey Sanhagen. Um, you know, if, if Sanhagen wins this one, he's definitely going to get a title shot. And I, I'd imagine Piotr Jan will very likely win that rematch with Aljamain Sterling. Aljamain could surprise me, but just looking how that first fight went, I don't know how many adjustments Sterling will make. But it, it looked like Jan was just a little bit ahead of him. I think Jan versus... Dillashaw or Sanhagen is a very fun fight, so I'm I'm excited to see who he gets. I'm excited to see who get, who wins that, I should say, and, and who wins the title fight. The other big bantamweight bout announced, Cody Garbrandt and Rob Font. Someone's getting knocked out in this one. <laughs> Rob Font coming off a knockout over Marlon Marais. You know, unfortunately, Marlon Marais does look like he is on the downswing of his career. Um at just 32 years old, but Rob Font, you know, 33 years old, kind of coming into his own, 18-4, and four, 
three-fight winning streak. You know, he does have a few losses in his UFC career. He has losses to John Lineker by decision, Pedro Munoz by guillotine choke, and Rafael Sunstow by decision. But he's on a three-fight winning streak. You have a decision win over Sergio Pettis. You've got a decision win over Ricky Simone. And then you've got the TKO over Marlon Moraes. And then, you know, Cody Garbrandt is is a fight. He's a fighter where, you know, he was on a three-fight losing streak, went in there with Hassan Sal and put him out cold. Was going to go down to flyweight and fight for the title, but unfortunately caught COVID and started getting blood clots in his bicep because of it. Uh, the division moved forward, so he's staying at Bantamweight for the time being. We thought we were going to get uh, Garbrandt and Aldo for the longest time. That's what we were leaning towards. So it looks like we're not getting that now, but we're, we got a really fun fight instead with number three, Rob Font, and number four, Cody Garbrandt. And I, I believe someone's going out in this fight because that's just the way Cody fights. Uh, Cody is, a, I, I think he maybe is hopefully improving his mentality a little bit, but it, it might be difficult for him to get out of that Glenn Slinger mentality of if he gets hit, okay, we're swinging for the fences. When Cody gets tagged, he, he just starts swinging for the fences. So... You know, he, he might get into that. We'll, we'll see if that happens. I, I would like to think not. But, you know, um, that's a very fun fight in that division. Bantamweight division's getting some really exciting matchups going. Now, with Garbrandt getting booked with Rob Font, when we thought he was going to get Aldo, uh, it does leave me wondering what's next for Aldo. And looking at the rankings, you know, you could see him maybe running it back with Marlon Marais, but, you know, Aldo is coming off the win over Marlon Vera, and Marlon Marais coming off of two straight TKO losses. I, I don't know that that's a good fight to book for him, so I, I don't see him getting that. I could see um, maybe a, a Pedro Munoz for Aldo, or maybe even Dominic Cruz. I think Dominic Cruz is the fun, exciting matchup, because then you can have two legends of the sport going at it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that one, but it, it does make me wonder what's next for Aldo because we were talking for a long time, it felt like, about Aldo versus Garbrandt, and uh, now that the time came, uh, that's not what we got. So yeah, a lot of very fun fights announced this week. As you can tell, it was a very big, big and heavy news week for the MMA world, and I'm not even done yet. UFC 262 is taking place in Houston, Texas, also with a live crowd. And on Friday, Dana White announced, 29-0 it is, Khabib is officially retired, thank you for everything, and with that being said, the UFC lightweight titles on the line at UFC 262, Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler. So a few things to say with that. Number one, Finally, you know, the UFC released a statement, you know, Khabib officially retires, blah, 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 29-0. So let's be a little bit clear with something. The UFC announced this, that Khabib had officially retired on Friday, March 19th, 2021. Khabib officially retired... Saturday, October 24th, 2020. Five months later, Dana White finally accepted the retirement, and we finally have a path forward for this division. 
They, I will say it again. Khabib, thank you for everything. Uh, always a huge fan. Happy to see him go out on top. Don't think there was anything left for him to prove. And I absolutely respect his reasons of retiring, you know, due to a promise he made to his mother. He said, you know, people might under might not understand, but I, I hope they respect it. I think everybody's going to respect it. He had a phenomenal career. Easily the greatest lightweight of all time. I could talk for another hour about the career retrospective of Khabib Nurmagomedov. I recently went back and rewatched all of his fights. I'm not going to do that here. Khabib's been retired for five months. This is not a Khabib retirement podcast. Let's talk about the lightweight division. So, seeing a lot of people complaining online about this fight. Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler for the title. And the complaint I've seen from a lot of people is Dustin Poirier should be fighting for the title. Yes, yes he should. However, Conor McGregor should not be fighting for the title. And it's openly been admitted that that fight should not be for the title. And Dustin Poirier has said he would rather do a trilogy with Conor McGregor for the money than fight for the title right now. He'll fight for the title after. He's trying to secure his family's future. You know what? Fair play to him. But you can't book that fight for the title with Conor. His... his 0-2 in his last two lightweight fights. Let's be real. Yeah, he has a win over Cowboy. That was at 170 pounds. You can't book him in a lightweight title fight, with even with Dustin Poirier coming off a knockout loss. That that fight is strictly going to be about money. Now, the winner of that fight will definitely, I'd say, be getting a shot at the winner of Michael Chandler and Charles Oliveira. Now, where this gets interesting is with Justin Gaethje. Last week, early last week, we were hearing Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler is in the works. Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler is in the works will be announced any day now. Friday comes. Michael Chandler versus Charles Oliveira for the title. Okay, um, you know, I saw a lot of people going, well, why isn't Michael Chandler versus Justin Gaethje? Well, here's the way that I look at this. Rankings-wise, is Justin Gaethje ahead of those two? Yes. Here's why you're not doing Justin Gaethje versus one of them for the title. We're going to get our first undisputed champion after Khabib's retirement. Are you going to have the first undisputed champion after Khabib's retirement be the guy that he beat in his retirement fight? I think that's a hard sell to fans. You've got two guys in Michael Chandler and Charles Oliveira coming off of wins. The only guys in the top five besides Dustin Poirier coming off wins and they've never fought Khabib. So you don't have the argument of, yeah, sure, this guy's champ, but Khabib already beat him. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I, you know, yeah, this guy's not really the champ. You don't have that argument with one of these two guys. The top five of that division right now, I mean, that's that's kind of what you got, you know. Uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov is no longer champion. Number one, Just, Dustin Poirier. Number two, Justin Gaethje. Three, Charles Oliveira. Four, Michael Chandler. Five, Tony Ferguson. And right below him at number six is Conor McGregor. You know, you look at that. Uh, Justin Gaethje coming off a loss. So, so I'll start from one, work my way down. Dustin Poirier coming off of a two-fight winning streak, but doing a trilogy fight with Conor McGregor, who's coming off the loss to himself. Justin Gaethje coming off the loss to Khabib. Charles Oliveira, eight-fight winning streak. Michael Chandler, huge explosive USC debut where he put Dan Hooker out inside of uh, three minutes. Tony Ferguson, two-fight losing streak. Conor McGregor, 
Coming off the loss to Dustin Poirier, knockout second round. Before that, a win at 170. Before that, a loss at lightweight. So, it's the fight to make. Now, stylistically, very fun matchup. You know, Charles Oliveira, very long, lanky. His Muay Thai in recent fights has looked really good, especially in the Kevin Lee fight. But his jiu-jitsu is where it's at. I mean, you know, he, he absolutely ragdolled Tony Ferguson. He guillotine-choked Kevin Lee. Like, this guy is on a, an impressive tear of this division. Um, and his last fight with Tony Ferguson, you know, if there was 10 more seconds in that first round, he would have broken Tony Ferguson's arm and and come home with a at least a technical submission victory over Tony Ferguson had Tony not tapped. This is... Um, with Michael Chandler, you know, you got a very powerful wrestler who has dynamite in his hands. Very short and stocky. He's going to have to get on the inside. But he did just do that to Dan Hooker. And I think stylistically, Dan Hooker is probably the worst matchup for Michael Chandler in that division. And he openly admitted that. But he came through in his UFC debut in flying colors with that matchup. With a terrible matchup. Flying colors. So, you know... For the lightweight title, and, and it's actually kind of funny because Dustin Poirier even said it a few weeks ago, you know, I'll, <clears throat> I'm not fighting Michael Chandler off of one win in the UFC, um, I'll, I'll take I'll take the trilogy fight with Connor. Well, let, let Chandler and Oliveira fight for the belt, and then I'll fight the winner. I, I love it, you know, uh, I saw Conor McGregor posted something about 155-pound world champion, book it, and it was a picture of himself, um... Obviously, Connor, uh, it's what he does. You know, big headlines are announced, and he has to get the spotlight on himself. You know, I, I don't know that I see him winning this trilogy fight with Dustin Poirier just because I think he spent so much time focusing on boxing in recent years that I believe that these guys have kind of passed him by in the sport. Now, obviously, you can't count a guy like Conor McGregor out. He's still a top fighter in the world, but I just don't see him beating Dustin Poirier in this rematch. So... You know, I, I don't see him fighting for the belt, I, but, you know, if he wins, he definitely will be, uh, you know, because Tony Ferguson's fighting Benil Dariush, but he's off a two-fight losing streak. Tony's not getting us out of shot soon. Chandler versus Oliveira is going to be a really fun and fantastic fight. I personally think that uh, Michael Chandler is going to come over from Bellator and become the UFC lightweight champion, but you know what? Charles Oliveira could easily prove me wrong, but I, I think Michael Chandler takes this fight with a knockout victory. Now, where this gets interesting is what do you do with Justin Gaethje? You know, you look at this division, number one, Dustin Poirier. It's not announced yet, but he's going to be fighting Connor, and it looks like they're leaning towards July 10th for that fight. Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler fighting for the title. Tony Ferguson fighting Benil Dariush. Uh, you know, below that, for Justin Gaethje, you've got Dan Hooker, uh, at number 8, Rafael Dos Anjos. At number 7, Felder at 10, Islam Makachev. Uh, personally, I think that they're going to be doing Islam Makachev, Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, but, you know, now the lightweight division gets very interesting with this. Um, <clears throat> you know, do you do Makachev versus Dan Hooker? Do you do Makachev versus Dos Anjos? And do you do Hooker Gaethje? You know, there's... There's so many different options, but Gaethje is kind of the odd man out now that this title fight's been announced. Um, you know, everybody in the top six is spoken for, aside from him. And it really does put him in an odd position where he's going to definitely be fighting 
down quite a bit in the rankings. And he actually, you know, came on uh, Twitter and said, you know, uh, went into practice this morning, yesterday. I believe he was talking about Thursday. I believe he posted this Friday. He goes, with the understanding that I was going to be fighting Michael Chandler and that the contract hadn't come in, but that it would be announced very soon, he said, and I came home without a fight. And uh, I don't know what's next, but I like this feeling. I had a great sparring session. So, you know, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, there's there's no real idea of what's happening next for Justin Gaethje. Um, does he fight the loser of McGregor? And Poirier, does he fight the loser of the title fight? I don't know what they're going to do with Justin Gaethje. And it's it's very weird because, you know, he's absolutely one of the top fighters in that division. He just had a very poor outing with Khabib. But other than that, you know, he had the loss to Dustin Poirier and he had the knockout loss a few years ago to Eddie Alvarez. But other than that, this is a top fighter in that division. What he did to Tony Ferguson cannot be undersold. Um... Yeah, it's, it's just crazy to me that we don't have a path forward for Justin Gaethje. I, I, I'm very much looking forward to have finally having some clarity in this division, though. UFC 262 in Houston is going to be absolutely incredible. Lightweight division getting some clarity. Welterweight division starting to get a little bit of clarity and a path forward. Middleweight division getting exciting. Welterweight division getting some big announcements. Now... Uh, very briefly, I'm going to talk about the fact that John Jones and Israel Adesanya beef has not stopped. Um, personally, I, I believe that this fight is dead for the time being. I, you know, I, I you can never say never in this sport, but I think these two beefing at this point is just a little bit silly. I don't think they're going to be fighting anytime soon. I think coming off that loss to Jan Blachowicz, Israel Adesanya is going to have to do a lot of work to make people interested in seeing him fight a heavier guy uh, ever again. You know, he, he, he lost that fight pretty handily, and it was in the wrestling at the end. So, yeah, I just I don't see the appeal. You know, there's a lot of trash talk, and Israel Asani said, you know, F yeah, we're going to fight. You know, this is this is deeper than fighting now. And, and Jones was kind of mocking him for it. Personally, I, I say move on from it. Let it go. There's no need to keep talking about this um, from their perspectives. John, and if you're John Jones, and if you really think that this guy's a clown, just stop acknowledging it. You're, you're going to be fighting the winner of Stipe and Ngannou. Focus on that. All right, speaking of Stipe and Ngannou, UFC 260 is this Saturday. And uh, it kind of ties into, with the Komen event, Volkanovski versus Brian Ortega ties into why the Brad Riddell fight was canceled. So Brad Riddell was pulled from the fight with Gregor Gillespie due to COVID-19 protocols. It was announced at the during the prelims that, unfortunately, Volkanovski versus Brian Ortega was canceled. Alexander Volkanovski has tested positive for COVID-19. Now, he is currently asymptomatic, but I do wish him the best. I hope he stays healthy. I hope everyone around him stays healthy. And I hope he's able to come out of this completely fine. Look forward to that fight being rebooked. Unfortunately, big blow to this Saturday's fights. As of right now, there's still only four fights listed for the main card. Um, but, you know, some big fights on the cards anyway. Um, you know, you got Jessica Pinay versus Hannah Goldie on the prelims. Alonzo Minifield is fighting. Um, Anumraga Medoff is fighting. A 
Abubakar, I believe is how it's pronounced. You know, and then the the main card you got Kama Worthy, Worthy versus Jamie Malarkey will be a fun fight. Sean O'Malley, mentally undefeated Sean O'Malley versus Thomas Almeida. Um, <clears throat> now I, I do want to talk about the booking of this fight for a minute. You've got Thomas Almeida versus Sean O'Malley, and and they're going to use this fight to say that you know Sugar Sean is back, but in his last five. Thomas Almeida is one and four, with two knockout losses. And uh, his one victory is a TKO over Albert Morales, who has not been in the UFC since 2018. And so I I don't understand this booking if you're trying to convince us that Sean O'Malley is still a star despite his last loss. I believe he's lost a lot of um, the hype off of his last loss, and I also believe he's lost a lot of fanfare with the way he's handled it. Yeah, I, I think Sean O'Malley's going to win that one, but I don't think it raises his stock at all. It's a very, very winnable fight just to get him some momentum again. So the new co-main event uh, with um, Volkanovski and Ortega being canceled is Tyron Woodley versus Vicente Luque. This was already booked for the card, but is now the co-main event. I'm not sure how to feel about this fight. You know, this is a, a big chance for Vicente Luque. Um, you know, this is a, a former champion of the world, one of the greatest welterweights of all time he's fighting. And Vicente Luque, 19-7 and seven in his career. He, he's on a two-fight winning streak. He's got the TKO over Nico Price at UFC 259, and, of course, that impressive knockout over Randy Brown. Before that, he had the loss to Stephen Thompson, but... You know, other than that, he has a, he had a loss to Leon Edwards in the UFC, a loss uh, coming off of American Top Team versus Black Zillions finale, finale uh, yeah, finale. But you know, he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve UFC victories, twelve UFC victories and three UFC losses. That's pretty good. You know, two of those wins are over Nico Price, one by submission, and then one by TKO. You know, he's got a split decision win over Mike Perry where he absolutely rearranged the shape of Mike Perry's nose. This is an exciting fighter. Um, you know, a lot of of-the-night bonuses, quite a few fight-of-the-night bonuses, quite a few performance-of-the-night bonuses. His last fight was a performance-of-the-night. Tyron Woodley's on the downswing of his career. Um, he's lost three straight now, and he's lost those three straight to Kamara Usman, five rounds nothing. Gilbert Burns, five rounds nothing. And TKO due to rib injury to Colby Covington in a fight that was about to be five rounds to nothing. So, you know, he's, he's lost 14 straight rounds, essentially. Um, this is not... He needs to come out in this fight and be aggressive if he wants to win. He can't fight with this strategy where he's got his back against the fence and won't let his hands go. That's what he's been doing recently, and it's killing him. He's got to come forward in this fight. He's got to be aggressive. He's got to... He's got to swing for the fences. He can't just be reckless, but this guy's got to come forward. Physically, he looks like he's in the best shape of his life. But you know what? Nobody's ever doubted whether or not Tyron Woodley's in great shape. You can tell just by looking at that guy. Tyron Woodley is always in phenomenal shape. The question is whether he's going to show up to fight. If Vicente Luque wins this fight, his stock will definitely raise, and he's going to earn his way into the, the elite of the elite of this division. But for Tyron Woodley, this is a chance to prove he's still relevant. 
I would love to see Tyron Woodley work his way back in this division. I don't know that he works his way into another title fight, but I'd love for him to show he's still relevant. I think if Woodley loses this fight, it is time to call it a career. Um, I think a lot of people were calling him for, for him to call his career after the Colby Covington fight. I didn't necessarily agree, only because I didn't agree with that fight being booked in the first place. That was terrible timing for that fight to be booked. Looking at his two losses before that, Colby Covington was the worst possible matchup for him. He should have had a much lower-ranked opponent after his first two losses. But, like, you know, this matchup right now is the kind of matchup he should have had after those two losses. So, <clears throat> I'm definitely, definitely curious to see what happens with Tyron Woodley. If, if Vicente Luque, you know, if he's able to show up, you know, I'll, I'll pull up the rankings right now. Uh, but if... if Vicente Luque shows up and puts it on Tyron Woodley. You know, I believe Luque is number 10 in the world right now. Yeah, Vicente Luque is number 10. Woodley's number 7. You know, you look ahead of him, you got Neil Magny at number 9, Maya at number 8. I'd imagine with a win, uh, Magny probably fights one of them. Um, I, I could, you know, maybe if there's an odd man out in the top 5, he fights them. Maybe he fights, like, Stephen Thompson with a win, but... He also has a loss to Stephen Thompson, so I don't see that. So, you know, I, I think probably Damian Maya, Neil Magny, but I, I, I don't know what they're doing with Damian Maya. So maybe a, a win over this gets him Neil Magny. I, I, I don't know. Um, that, that's the, uh, the only issue we kind of have with this welterweight division right now is there's kind of a logjam of what are we doing with these top guys? And it's going to hold back the guys who are coming off of wins and working their way up. So hopefully that division gets moving forward in that respect and we get some fights announced. But, yeah, nothing nothing for Damian Maya. So Vicente Luque, big step up for him. <clears throat> hopefully he can make it. Tyron Woodley, hopefully the Tyron Woodley of old shows up. Other than that, we got the big clash of the Titans, the heavyweights, Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou too. I don't know if Francis is still the favorite in this fight. But I know, betting odds-wise, he's been the favorite since it was announced, which is crazy to me looking at how the first fight went. And realistically, I don't see this fight going much different. I believe Stipe picks him apart for five rounds. I believe we're going to see Stipe absolutely dominate him from pillar to post. Now, with Francis Ngannou, he's just got to land one punch. So... They're fighting in a smaller octagon. So that's where this gets interesting. Can Stipe avoid the shots like he did in the first fight with a smaller octagon? He's got less space to move. That is the one thing about this fight that really is intriguing to me. Now, unfortunately, I'm not saying that's the only thing intriguing to me, as in this fight shouldn't be happening. There's nobody else in the division for Ngannou to fight right now. Ngannou, other than maybe Derek Lewis, who he has a decision lost to, Beats everybody in that division, not named, <clears throat> uh, Stipe Miocic, or at least he has on his way up. You know, there's not anybody he really hasn't beat that he's fought. I mean, you know, uh, Cyril Gaon, he hasn't fought yet. I think that could be a fun fight. But he absolutely demolished Rosenstreich within seconds. You know, he had a decision loss to Derek Lewis, but nothing really happened. Nobody really won that fight. You know, everybody on the way up, he's absolutely defeat. Curtis Blades, he's beat twice. So there's nobody else really for him to fight. And the winner of this fight is going to fight John Jones, and that's where it gets really exciting. I personally believe Saturday night, 
Stipe Miocic walks out and still the heavyweight champion of the world, and I believe it goes about the same as the first fight, but you can't underestimate the punching power of Francis Ngannou. Alright guys, I'll leave you with that. I cannot believe I was able to compress all this week's news into this little bit of time. Uh, I was a little bit worried. I was going to look a little bit like Charlie Kelly talking about Pepe Silvia. But you know what? We made it happen. We got it going. A great start to our Monday. I hope you all have a fantastic week. Maybe we'll have a little bit of a slower news week and we'll be able to focus a little bit more on the fights. I appreciate you all for tuning in, and I will see you all next Monday after UFC 260.